covenants tonight. We're looking at the first of the covenants. We just had barely talked about it last Wednesday night, and that's the Edenic covenant. And of course, the Edenic covenant goes to the uh, back to the word Eden, the Garden of Eden. So that's what we're going to look at tonight, this first covenant, which will bring us into the Adamic covenant in our next study. And that Adamic, of course, goes back to Adam. And so these little ends of these words are just there to help us understand these covenants. And so we're looking at uh, the covenant made in the Garden of Eden, the Edenic covenant. And we've got a lot of scripture to cover. I put them all up here. Uh, I still want to encourage you to turn in your own Bible. Uh, don't, don't get too used to just looking up here. But it is a lot of scripture, and so I want to put it up there and help us tonight that talks about this covenant as it relates to God and His promises to us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to bless our lesson tonight. Lord, as we meet together once again this Wednesday night in your house, thank you, Lord, for the song that we just sung. Lord, as we talked about the lyrics behind it, I pray that you would do that very thing. May you set our soul on fire. Lord, light a spiritual fire inside of our soul that, Father, nobody or nothing can quench or put out. And Father, I pray that we would be fires for you. I pray, Lord, that you would let us burn like a wildfire in our, our, our homes, in our community. Lord, uh, wherever we go, in workplaces, in, uh, in school, and vacation, recreation times, wherever we go, may we remember that we're taking the name of Jesus Christ with us. We're taking the Holy Spirit of God with us every single place. And I pray that we would be your ambassadors, your representatives in each place that we go. And Father, I pray that you'd give us a heart for the lost. And Lord, I pray that uh, you just give us a burden for them that are without Jesus Christ. And may our ministry here and our desire be not just, Lord, and most importantly, to lift up the name of Jesus, but also to reach the lost about us, Lord, however we can, and getting the gospel out. But only you know how long we have and how much time we have left on this earth. But Lord, as we see things in the world around us, it alarms us, it disturbs us to see what's going on. And Father, I just pray that in the time that we have, whether it's another day or whether it's another 50 years, whatever it may be, help us to be busy, Lord, reaching the lost and uh, growing our church and growing spiritually in the Word of God and in the Lord. So Father, bless all those that are here tonight. Bless those that watch our Bible studies at home and online. May you minister to them as well. And Father, as we look at these covenants, we're thankful for the promises that you've made and given to each of us. And Lord, we know that the greatest promises are still yet to come. And we abide and trust in those promises tonight, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The Edenic Covenant. As we said last Wednesday night, the Bible is a Jewish book, like it or not. It is a Jewish book, and the oracles of God, the Bible said, were given to the Jews. And so it's a Jewish book that God gave to the Jews to the world. It's a humbling thing to think of it in that way, and we learned a little bit about that in our study Sunday night in the video series. But uh, the Bible came as a result of holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so God used those men uh, of God, used those preachers and prophets to bring about the Word of God given by inspiration of God. Every scripture, all scripture, is given by inspiration of God. God breathed out, and they were just His instruments in writing out what God wanted to be written out. And so God gave the word to us in that way. I think it's interesting that we talked about the King James Bible. And whether you use the King James or not, there's no getting around the fact that the King James Bible is the best-selling Bible in the history of all translations, the history of all books ever been printed into the tens of millions. Nothing has even come close 
to the amount of Bibles that have been printed and published and distributed and purchased as the King James Bible. And God waited till he had a king with a Jewish name. Here's a man with the name James. James is, in, is, is a Jewish name. That's Jacobo. That's Jacob. That's Jacob. James and Jacob is the same name. And so I'm not saying that, that King James was Jewish, but God didn't wait and send his word to a King Richard or a King Henry or a King George. He waited till he got a Jewish name because the Bible says where the word of a king is, there is power. And God waited till he had a king with a Jewish name and brought about a, a powerful book unlike any book in the history of the world that is still transforming lives by the thousands uh, across the world. And I'm so thankful that he did that. God gave us his covenants in the word of God, which by the way, we, uh, we talked about it Sunday night. If we wouldn't have the Bible, we wouldn't even know about these covenants. If we couldn't read it for ourselves, if we didn't own the Bible in our own language, we wouldn't even know about the promises of God and the, and the commitments of God and the form of the covenants and the dispensations and all that God has given us, his agreements between himself and his creation if we didn't have the Bible for ourselves. So thank God we have the Word of God and we can read it and study it, memorize it, and, uh, and we can let it set our soul afire like we sung about tonight. Now a covenant, as we said, is an agreement. It is an agreement. It's like a contract. It's an agreement between at least two people. It could be between more people, but at least two people. And so that's what that covenant means. And I want us to, I didn't put it up here tonight, but I mentioned it last Wednesday night. 2 Timothy 3 verse 3 says that in the last days, all those sins and signs of the last days, it says that they'll be without natural affection. That goes back to Romans 1 and homosexuality and things of that nature is going on today. All kinds of weird, creepy stuff that's going on in the world tonight that they're calling love, but it's actually sin in, in the Word of God. It's wickedness and an abomination to God. Uh, uh, sister wives, television shows, and stuff like that, uh, where you got one man and five women or something like that, or who knows what's going on now. Uh, but uh, I've seen where people are marrying their pets in places around the world. It's just sick stuff going on that's in the world. It's a sign of the last days, by the way, because the Bible says it'll be without natural affection. Then he says truce breakers is a sign of the last days there in 2 Timothy 3.3. 3. Truce breakers, then he talks about false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. I mean, the list goes on and on. You can put beside every one of them, 2021, 2021, 2021. It's going on at an alarming rate tonight. But truce breakers is a sign of the last days. And a truce breaker is somebody that says I'll do something and doesn't do it. I mean, this is something more than just saying I'll take out the trash and then forgetting to do it. Truth breakers is making an agreement, a promise, a covenant, and then going against that covenant, going against that promise. And it happens every day. And, uh, and it's a sign of the last days. In fact, in Daniel, we're told three times in Daniel that the Antichrist is going to make a covenant. He's a copycat. He copies everything that God does. So if God makes covenants, he's going to make covenants. And so he makes a covenant with Israel. Three times he breaks that covenant. And so Israel tonight, they're blind spiritually, Romans 11, 25, and 26. And so they're waiting for the Messiah to come, not knowing that he's already come the first time. And so somebody's going to show up on the scene and have all the answers to the peace problem and the Gaza problem and the mosque problem and, and all these problems and the mosque of Omar problem up on the temple site. You name it. They're going to have all the answers this person will. And they're going to think that this person's the Messiah. He's going to make a peace covenant with them. 
And he's going to say, look, all the world loves Israel now. We'll get along. And about three and a half years into that peace treaty, he's going to break it. And he's going to turn the nations against Israel, which will ultimately lead up to the battle of Armageddon. So that's the nature of even the Antichrist. His nature goes back to the devil. And the Bible says he was a liar from the beginning and the father of it. He's always been a liar. He always will be a liar. He's the father of lies. He is the truth breaker. And so his Antichrist is going to follow that example and be a truth breaker. But we come now to the Edenic Covenant. This is God giving a promise, a, a, an agreement with his creation. And here this first covenant is an unconditional covenant. And it's found first of all in Genesis chapter number 1 and verse 27. We begin to see part of this covenant. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Boy, that's, that's a controversial verse tonight in a world that says there's 85 genders or whatever they're saying. God didn't say that. He said in the beginning, in fact, Jesus repeats this in the Gospels, and he said it's not been that way from the beginning. He said in the beginning, uh, you're talking about divorce and all that, he said in the beginning God made them male and female. He said he made them that they would be one together. And so God made male and female, but he made them in his image. So this begins a covenant, an agreement that God makes with his creation. It's fixed. It's steadfast. There's nothing attached to it. God's body is Jesus Christ tonight. God's soul, nobody has seen his soul. You can't see God. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God the Holy Spirit, well, we know who that is. That's the Holy Ghost tonight, the Holy Spirit of God. But all three, three and one, one and three, came together to form man in the image of God. So man becomes a triune being. We are a triune being made in the image of God. And I always say it this way, but actually if we get real technical, Adam was made in the image of God, we're made in the image of Adam. And although we, we still retain that still triune nature of a body, soul, and a spirit, we have taken on the fallen nature of Adam, whereas Adam was created in a perfect nature, a sinless nature, until he fell. He was made in the image of God. And uh, when his, his sons come around, the Bible says that he had a son in his own image. And from that point forward, we have been made in the image of fallen man, not perfect man. In Genesis 2, 7, the Bible says this, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his, his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. If you look at that one verse tonight, you see all three elements of body, soul, and spirit. And the Lord God formed man, that's the body, out of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, that's the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is God breathed. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, remember the Bible says, that's the Spirit of God, and man became a living soul. One, three. We have all three of them tonight. We have a body, we have a spirit, and we have a soul. The only part of us that's not eternal is the body, because it's made in, in, fallen, uh, in, in man, in fallen Adam. But our soul and our spirit is eternal, and one day we're going to get a new body on top of that. And when we uh, return with the Lord, the Bible says that the resurrection will receive a glorified body. But until then, we have a saved soul and a saved spirit inside of a lost body. Our body's still corruptible. And if you doubt that, just go a while without bathing or sleeping or brushing your teeth or anything else. 
If you think that your body's holy, it certainly isn't. Uh, but one day it will be, praise the Lord. One day we'll get a glorified body likened to his body. You want to know what our glorified body will be like? You need to study Jesus after his resurrection because you'll see that he was able to eat. He ate fish and honeycomb. Uh, he was able to enter into a room and, and not go through a door, a window, or come down a chimney. He could just enter into a room and disappear at will. In fact, if you calculate, there's about three times that he goes again before he finally ascends in Acts chapter number one I mean we talk about the speed of light speed of light nothing he can be in the presence of God be back on earth instantaneously no wonder the rapture is going to take place in a moment the twinkling of an eye that's faster than, than NASA or any of these uh, space shuttles could even dream about and our body will be able to do that we won't have to worry about gravity we don't have to worry I mean don't worry about a, a car getting us from point A to point B we can just get here and get wherever we need to be uh, and so we're going to receive that body. But man is made like the Lord. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them, Adam and Eve. And God said unto them, this is part of this covenant, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. So there's no stipulation or condition now in this covenant. Verse 30, And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every herb for meat, and it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. In the evening, the morning, were the sixth day. Here's part of this covenant. God says, I've given all of this to you. And everything I've given to you, there in Genesis 1, 28 through 31, he said, is yours. That's my promise. This is my gift to you. There's really no stipulation with any of it, no conditions. It's yours. This goes against what we're hearing in the world that we're in tonight that says that man is just another in a long line of species that goes back to about an amoeba that crawled out of some primordial soup somewhere in the evolutionary chain. That's not what God said. God said, I've given you dominion over all the animals. And now animals have more rights than people do in certain places. You know, that's Romans chapter 1 as well. Romans chapter 1 says they'll worship the creature more than the creator. And if you doubt that, abortion is legal and they'll fight to give people the right to kill babies. But at the same time, they will, you'll go to jail for taking a feather or taking an egg from a bald eagle. I know that to be a fact because in Alaska, it's, it's our state bird in Alaska. You see them everywhere. And uh, I mean, where we lived in Alaska, there was a place where you'd have hundreds of eagles would come into our town out on what was called the spit. Sounds like a great place, right? But it, it was a, a little peninsula of land that went out to the ocean. And at the very end of the, the spit there in Homer, Alaska, is a place where uh, it was called Eagle's Nest. And Eagle's Nest, you had hundreds of bald eagles would come from all over and would nest there. And uh, in Alaska, if an eagle was to, which would happen, would, uh, if you're walking down the road and let's say you're walking your dog and an eagle swooped down and took your precious little fifi or foo-foo, you can't do anything to the eagle. You've got to let it happen. It, it's a felony to do anything to the eagle. Uh, and uh, I was traumatized as a child one time. No joke. I mean, I'm not really traumatized, but when I was little, it scared me to death. 
I had on a beanie hat, you know, in the winter, a wool hat, I think it was red or orange or something like that. And uh, it, during the winter, we were walking down the road to go to a lake where we'd go ice skating. And I was only about eight years old, and, uh, and this huge eagle, I don't know if you've ever seen one up close, but they've got a wingspan longer than you could stretch out. And about that time, my parents and some others are with us said, Ben, you know, duck. And I ducked down, and that eagle was coming for my head. I mean, already I was redheaded, but I had that on there, so I was even a more of a target. And uh, that eagle was trying to swoop down and get me. And, you know, I don't know if it had been strong enough to get me or not, but if it did, legally, my parents wouldn't have been able to do anything. I'm sure they would have, but they would have suffered a great consequence legally. That's the world we're in. The world we're in now says whales have more rights than you do. Little lizards have more right than you do. When my dad was a director of missions over in Virginia, um, they were getting ready, the, the state was getting ready to bring a highway system kind of in behind the associational office. It had a huge wooded area out there. And they had already got all the permits, had already got all the funding through the state and everything, and began construction. And this is not made up. I'm telling you the honest truth tonight. During the construction, an they kept having to send environmentalists out. You know, we're not in the days anymore where you can just take uh, your, your oil from your engine after you change oil and just dump it in your backyard. Now that even to put a road through, they got to bring in environmentalists. And the environmentalists came out there and they're checking the water and they're checking the soil samples and all this stuff. And they spotted, this is no joke, a lizard. A little gecko lizard. That thing was about that big. And it was some kind of a spotted gecko, something or another. And they halted the road so they could analyze it. Come to find out this little lizard was on the endangered species list. And so they shut down the entire road operation, had to just trash the entire plan, find a different place totally to put the road because they were scared to death that they put it in there. God forbid, how would we live? How would we make it another day if we didn't see the spotted lizard? I don't know if I could make it tomorrow if I didn't get to see it. I mean, that's the world we're in. They worship the creature more than the creature, creation, uh, uh, the, the creature uh, more than the creator. And yet God gave dominion of man over all creation. Psalms chapter 8 says, uh, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemy, that thou mightest still the enemy, the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him, for thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. Thou puttest all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts, the field, the fowl, the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth the path of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. He said, you made man lower than angels, but all the creations that you made other than the angels you put under the foot of man. That doesn't mean we can be mean and cruel and stuff to nature. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this was part of the covenant. And even during this time, do you know that Adam and Eve were vegetarians? They had a vegetarian diet, but there comes a time after the flood where God says, the animals, I'll give you the clean ones for meat. And do you know that vegetarianism, that's a big word, is one of the signs of the last days. There'll be a resurgence of that. It says that they'll teach to abstain from eating meats. And you know what the big thing is right now? You think we're not in the last days, folks? You can line it all up. The big thing now, look at Hollywood. I'm vegan. 
I, I'm a, a, what's the, the new one where they can't drink any milk, they can't, uh, they can't even eat honey because it comes from another creature. Uh, I mean, they got a new thing going all the time. You know, I can't eat cheese, I can't eat bread because it comes from a grain, and the grain, I mean, you're going to kill something. You're going to kill a vegetable or something. Does the vegetable not have any rights tonight? Does that carrot or cucumber have no rights? It's a living thing, isn't it? There's people that uh, only eat fish, but they won't eat meat. And they, I mean, there's something for everything. And the Bible says we're not to judge one another in eating meat or not eating meat, but it is a sign of the last days. And look how it's getting popularized again. There's a, a famous uh, drummer from a rock band that about 10 years ago was in an airplane crash. And I'm sure you wouldn't know who the band was. I'd hope you probably wouldn't know who the band was. But it was all over the news. And uh, this guy was a, vegetar uh, <laughs> a vegetarian. And uh, he was burnt all over his body. He had third-degree burns all over his body. And after they tried everything, the doctors came in. This, I remember when it was on the news, and they said, here's what you got to do. I think the guy's name was Travis. They said, Travis, here's what you got to do. The only way your body's going to heal is we got to put you on a protein diet. You've got to start eating meat. And he said, but I, I can't. I'm against eating meat. They said, it's either that or you're going to die. And he said, well, I guess I want to live. And so he talked about how it saved his life. You know why that's so? Because God designed us that way. Now, if you don't want to do it, that's your choice. But God designed us that way. This is part of his covenant. He makes here in the Garden of Eden to every beast of the earth, to every fowl of the air, to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life. I've given every green herb for meat, and it was so. Here's what's going to happen. All this is going to be repeated in the new Garden of Eden, which will be the Millennial Kingdom, the new Jerusalem. And the Bible says there's going to be fruit trees again. And everything you saw in the garden, the tree of life, you're going to see it there in the garden. Again, you're going to see uh, fruit. The Bible says we don't even know what kind of fruit's going to grow on these trees. But it says it'll be all manner of fruit on one tree. And that the leaves will be for the healing of the nations. The leaves will be something to do with the health of people. And so we're going to revert to a lot of that when Jesus comes back again. But now between verse 31... Of Genesis chapter 1 and, uh, and Genesis chapter 2, something's changed tonight. We're not in the same world that this was. We're in a different world. Look in chapter number 2, here comes part of a condition. In chapter 2 and verse 16, the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely what? Die. Now with this one, we're going to look at the Edenic, uh, not just the Edenic covenant, but we're going to look at the Adamic covenant. Here God gives a stipulation, and he says, you can do everything you want, but one thing. Now think about that tonight. People say, well, I can obey the Ten Commandments and make it to heaven. Adam and Eve couldn't keep one commandment. One commandment. All they had to do is stay away from one tree. And they... here's the stipulation. God says, you eat of it, you will die. You say, did God keep his word? Yes, he did. God was gracious and merciful. He could have killed Adam and Eve right there. He still did kill them. They still died. But he, they, number one, they died spiritually the moment they ate of the fruit. 
The moment they ate, they died spiritually. They were naked and not ashamed, which is more than you can say for the Kardashians and all them out there tonight. I mean, they're trying to take more off than cover themselves up. And the Bible says in the last days will they blush? It says neither will they be ashamed, neither shall they blush. That's our time that we're living in. People aren't ashamed of anything anymore. And so um, the moment that they ate, that before that spiritually they were still naked, but there was no sin. They were in a sinless environment. But the moment they disobeyed this law of God, they died spiritually. They were ashamed of themselves. They hid themselves. They knew that their eyes were open. They had done wrong. So they died spiritually that moment. But it took 500 years or so before they finally died physically. And even in their own son, Abel being killed was part of that curse. The first person born on this planet turned out to be a murderer. Ain't that something? What a great way to start civilization. There's our hope. The first person that was born turned out to be a murderer. And the Bible tells us from that point forward, death has been in the human race. Now, here's something that, that's always a mystery to me. If you study evolution, evolution really doesn't have an explanation for death. They really can't fully explain why we die. It goes against everything that evolution teaches. Evolution teaches the survival of the fittest. Evolution teaches natural selection, and it teaches that things should get better going from something worse to something more advanced and better. And yet if that's true, then we shouldn't die. The longer we live, the better we should be and the more healthier we should be than when we started. There's no real explanation as to why we die. About the best I've ever heard from uh, evolutionists, they'll say, well, it's nature's way of keeping the planet from being overpopulated. Well, what does that mean? I mean, if nature, which they talk about nature like it's some kind of invisible force that thinks, that has a brain, and it's able to make huge decisions. I mean, it can change creatures and shapes, and I mean, it can grow limbs and, and, and I mean, make you taller or shorter or more adapt to something, and yet it's invisible. There's no explanation as to why we die unless you believe what the Bible teaches. And the Bible teaches that because of this failure to adhere to the law of God, death came upon the human race. We're all going to die. It's not a pleasant thought. None of us sit here tonight and go, I can't wait. I think we all want to live as long as we possibly can. But it's appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. And the only way we're going to escape that is through the coming of Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church. Then we'll be able to say, Death, where's thy sting? Grave, where's thy victory? But if that doesn't happen, if we die, the hope now is still we will die physically, but we cannot die spiritually because we've been made new. We're born again. So something's gone wrong in the human race since Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. And the Bible tells us what went wrong. God said, don't eat or you'll die. They ate and they died. Romans chapter 5 verse 12, here's how the Bible puts it. Wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin. That's the consequence. God gave the warning. That's the consequence. So death passed upon all men. That's you and I tonight. 
For that all have sinned. Everybody sinned. It doesn't matter how good a person somebody is. Everybody sinned. Your mom has sinned. Your daddy sinned. Your grandparents have sinned. The Pope sins. I know it's hard for some people to believe, but trust me, he does. More than you think. All have sinned, the Bible says. By one man. You know, later on, and I didn't put it up here, but actually the Bible says that Adam was not deceived, but Eve. Eve was deceived by the serpent, the devil in the form of the serpent. Adam made the decision knowing full well what he was doing, but he loved his bride enough to die for her. Doesn't justify what he did, but I'm thankful tonight Jesus loved us enough to die for his bride too. And we see that parallel, as I'm going to show you here in just a moment. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no getting around this. The Edenic covenant, which leads to the uh, Adamic covenant, when that law was broken, when the covenant was broken, God said, don't do it, and they did it. The result was death. I heard about, they said uh, a story about Adam and his, his sons were outside the Garden of Eden. And they could still see in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says, because the, the cherub was there uh, with the flaming sword turning every which way to keep him from going back into the garden. In fact, the Bible says that he had to drive him out of the garden. You don't drive sheep. You lead sheep. You drive cattle. He was driven because he went kicking and screaming. He didn't want to go. So God drove Adam out of the garden, but they could still see into it. I believe, personally, I believe that the Garden of Eden was visible up until the flood. And I think after the flood, then you didn't see it anymore. But I think they could see it up to the flood. And so the Garden of Eden was still there, and Adam and his sons were out there, and they're walking by, and his son says, well, look over there, Dad. Boy, that would have been a nice place to live. Why couldn't we live over there? And Adam said, well, son, we used to live there until your mother ate us out of house and home. They got what they deserved. And what they deserve, that's what Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Wages is what you get, that's what you've earned. When I do my taxes, there's a box up there that says wages, tips, and other compensation, or whatever it says. Wages, that's what I've earned. The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's what we earn. But the gift of God, even in spite of all this, the gift of God is through Jesus Christ the Lord. We get the eternal life uh, given to us through Jesus Christ the Lord. We don't have a right to get saved. It's a gift. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that. In Hebrews, the Lord tells us that something happened to mess up this unconditional covenant. If a covenant is unconditional, then it has to be fulfilled at some point. And it will be fulfilled. It's going to be fulfilled in the future. There's just going to be quite a few thousands of years in between, but God will always keep His Word, as I'll show you in just a moment. But in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 9, verse 6, let me start there. But one in a certain place testified, What is man? I just talked about that. That's Psalms 8. That thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownedest him with glory and honor. Thou didst set him over the works of thy hands. God said, I, I've made Adam. That's who he's talking about. Man, I crowned him. That's a whole other lesson about the kingdom. But 
the, the theme of the Bible is a kingdom. And the kingdom, Adam was in a perfect kingdom as a king. We'll see also with Noah. Noah was a, like a king in a kingdom. He was starting over. The whole world was his kingdom. Thou crownedest him with glory and honor. Thou settest him over the works of thy hands. He made man a king over a kingdom. Adam and Eve had the whole garden. They had the whole world. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he, made, he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is put under him but now. Notice that phrase. He says here, but now. That means something happened here that's different than there. We're in this now. We're not in this. We're but now. Something changed. And what changed is the disobedience of Adam and Eve. But now. We see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus. Jesus is going to change everything. And going to lead us back to that covenant of promise that is eternal. We're going to get the kingdom again. We're going to have everything subdued under us again like it was supposed to be from the beginning. And it's all going to happen as a result of what Jesus did for us on Calvary. I didn't put it up on the screen, but look in 1 Corinthians 15 tonight. 1 Corinthians 15. You know, the Bible refers to Jesus as the last Adam. Refers to him as the last Adam over and over again. <clears throat> and in chapter 15, it starts off telling us the gospel. But then it gets into the story of the resurrection. And in verse number 20, let's jump down there, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Of course, slept is another word for death, spiritual death. For since by man came death, that's Genesis 1, Genesis 2, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus Christ. For as in Adam, verse 22, all die. That's what Romans 5 tells us, Romans 6 tells us. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Folks, that's not happened quite yet, but it's fixing to happen. That's Romans, uh, Revelation 11, verse 15. For he must reign. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father tonight, but he's getting ready to come and rule and reign in Jerusalem on a throne till he hath put all enemies under his feet. They're not under his feet entirely yet. That's why you've got sin in the world. That's why you've got corruption in the world. That's why you've got wrong in the world. That's why we still got death. Verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. He goes down and talks more and more about it. But then he says in verse number 35, and some will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except thee die. It's a simple object lesson. If you how many's got a garden tonight? All right, you know how that garden got there? You had to take seeds and put them in the ground. 
When you put the seed in the ground, the seed dies. It has to decay. It, if, I remember when I was in school, and we used to do that with little bean sprouts and stuff, and we'd take a couple of bean seeds or something and put them in a, a plastic cup, and you could even see the roots. That thing would have to rotten. It would have to lose its outer shell, and it became another thing. And all of a sudden, that dead, lifeless seed sprung forth life in that soil, and a plant came up, and it produced fruit. That's the picture. He's, that's why the old-timers used to say when a Christian would die, they'd say they planted them. They'd say, we planted grandma, we planted grandpa. They, they were sowing them in the ground, and they know they're not going to come up the same way they went in the ground. And what thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. This goes against evolution. There's one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another uh, of fishes, another of birds. He goes beyond that. He gets in the spirit world. There are celestial bodies. There are bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star different from another in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in corruption, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. He goes on and on. He says, uh, come down to verse number 45 for time's sake. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. That means Adam came first, Jesus came last. Verse 47, the first man is of the earth earthy, that's Adam. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. As is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit in corruption. Then he goes on to one of the, my favorite passages in all the Bible where he says that I uh, show you a mystery, you shall not all sleep, we shall all be changed. The moment, the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the dead in Christ shall rise first. You talk about a, a passage want to just stir your spirit. This ain't the end. It's going to get better. Even if we die, it's going to get better. But the whole point he's making here is what Adam brought upon the human race. Jesus came to reverse it through his finished work on the cross. Didn't Adam sin in a garden? You know, Jesus' favorite place to go and pray was a garden. You ever think about that? Do you know when Adam died spiritually and then he was kicked out of the Garden of Eden and eventually died physically, he left that garden. Do you know where they put Jesus' body in a garden tomb? Ain't that strange? Do you know when they put him on the cross, the thing they put upon his head was a crown of thorns? You know what thorns come from? It comes from the curse that God cursed the ground Romans 8 tells us that even creation groans to be delivered because the curse of Adam and Eve didn't just come upon Adam and Eve, it came upon animals. I don't believe before Adam and Eve sinned that animals killed each other for food. They ate, uh, I mean, lions ate straw and ate grass. And we see that that's going to happen again in the millennial kingdom, that a, a lion will eat straw like a, uh, like a, like a, a, a cow, like an ox. 
Everything's going to be reversed. Back then, you could have played with a grizzly bear and just tickled it and slept by it. You can't do it tonight. Well, you can once. You can't do it twice. The Bible says that a child to play with a snake cannot be bit. A poisonous snake. Now you play with the poisonous snake, it's going to put you in the hospital. I don't care how much faith you got. There's a curse, but it's going to be lifted. That crown of thorns, the Bible says, Curse of the ground for thy sake, thorns and thistles shall it bring forth, and in the sweat of thy brow shall thou bring forth food. He, had to, he began to sweat. Every time I sweat, that's part of that curse. Every time we see thorns and briars, I don't have scripture to back it, but in my spirit, I believe that even a lot of the insects that are uh, that are uh, blood-sucking insects like ticks and like mosquitoes and things. I don't think any of that was in the garden originally in that form. I think that's part of the curse. There's not going to be any of that in heaven. There's not going to be sandbriars and thorn bushes in heaven. Rose bushes in heaven don't have any thorns on them. So Jesus came to take away that curse. And the Bible ends that passage, by the way, saying that he, by the grace of of God should taste death for every man. Boy, what a great text. For every man. The Calvinists say it just for the elect. That ain't what he said. Every human being has the potential to trust Jesus as their Savior if they want to. Jesus didn't die just like they say for those that accepted him. He died for the whole world. He died for, think about that tonight. Jesus died for people that will never accept him and hate him and will never receive his forgiveness of their sins. He still died for them anyway. And all they got to do is receive that free gift. It's a free gift. But you can't make someone take a gift if they don't want to take it. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 5, the Bible says this, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son. This day have I for, uh, begotten thee, <clears throat> and again I'll be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, that's Jesus, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Oh, he's just a man. If he's just a man, what are angels doing worshiping him? And the angels, and of the angels he saith, which maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire, but unto the son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. Think about, I want you to think about this phrase, by the way. Think about this. Uh, he says right here, And the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. Unto the Son, he saith, that's God speaking to his Son, calling his Son God. People say, oh, there's no verses in the Bible that prove that Jesus was God. This is one member of the Trinity talking to another member of the Trinity and saying, you're God. God called Jesus God. If God called Jesus God, guess who he is? He's God. But he says in chapter 2, verse number 9, but we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, that's his humanity, Death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. There's that phrase again. Boy, don't it show up all the time. Every man, any man, whosoever will, 
You know why God put it there? Because that means anybody and everybody and any man and any woman and whosoever will can have reversed in their life the curse that came as a result of what failed with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And if you'll receive the free gift of Jesus Christ, you can have that reversed. Now, we still got to live in this world, but it's just going to get better when it's all said and done. Now, here's the condition. I'm just about through, but here's the condition. In, in Genesis 20, uh, 2, verse 17, by the tree of knowledge and of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That's the prophecy. It's a prophecy. Thou shalt surely die. That's prophetic. And guess what? It happened. In the story of Eve being tempted by the devil, and the devil shows up in the form of the serpent, the very first thing that comes out of the devil's mouth in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 is, Yea, hath God said? He's like a serpent. He's a question mark. He always questions the authority of the Word of God. Did, did God really tell you? Did he, really, did he say that? Did he really mean that? The devil ever whispered that in your ear? He's done it in mine. Did he really mean that? Is that really what it says? You know, it's happening all the time. People read a scripture. I'm sharing some of them tonight. And people would look at it and go, well, I know that's what Paul said in Romans. But did he really mean? Did he really mean? I posted on Facebook. I know some of y'all probably think I'm just being a smart aleck. But I don't have any patience for false preachers and false teachers out there deceiving people on the way to heaven and, and, and about the truth of scripture. I have zero patience. And here's a man calling himself a priest, wearing a rainbow sash or whatever you call it around his neck. And he's on there saying to whoever, people by the thousands are following him and listening to him. And he said, you don't have to get to heaven by Jesus. Muhammad knew that. Buddha knew that. He goes down the list. They all knew that. He said, we just worship Jesus because that's the way we do it. But we're all going to make it in the end. He's a liar. He's a liar. You can tell him I said so if you want to. Give my address, my phone number. I'll be happy to share it. He's a liar. Jesus in the last days, false prophets, false teachers, false Christ are going to appear. And they're going to deceive many. You can say, yeah, well, did he really mean? Maybe there's more ways to get into heaven. Maybe there's your way and my way. And there's the Christian way. And there's the Buddha way. And there's the Muslim way. No, there's one way. There's one. And so the tree, God said, don't eat of it. The serpent says, Satan says to the serpent, Eve, oh, he just, God just knows you're going to be like him. You're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. That's why he's trying to keep you from it. And the Bible says she took it and she ate it. And immediately her eyes were open. She was deceived, but then she fell. And all she had to do was obey one command of God. <clears throat> Look in Romans chapter 5, verse 14. Romans 5, 14, there's a lot of verses here. I'll try to read them fast. But he says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgressions, who is the figure of that which was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. 
For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more by the grace of God and the gift of the gr uh, by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it, by, as it was uh, by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. That's one of those good old words. Justification, some have defined it as justified, justified, never sinned. That's how God looks at us now. Verse 17, for if by one's man, one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And praise God for that. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. That verse says, one man's action, Adam, brought sin on the entire human race. You're born into it. Doesn't matter what you do. You don't, nobody goes to hell because of the sins they commit. They go to hell because they are a sinner and because they don't accept the gift of the payment to undo what Adam brought upon creation through Jesus Christ. That's why they go to hell. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. God made the way. What Adam did, Jesus has come to undo. In Genesis chapter 1, the first covenant takes place there in the Garden of Eden, and the covenant will be ultimately fulfilled when Jesus comes back again. Folks, he's coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to bring in a kingdom unlike anything you could even imagine. People talk about utopia and cloud nine and, uh, and uh, uh, nirvana and all this stuff. You haven't imagined anything like what God has prepared for us. And I'll close with this. In Numbers 23, you hear me say this all the time, but Numbers 23 gives us the assurance of that promise. God is not a man that he should lie neither the son of man, that he should repent. Hath he sinned and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? God's going to keep his promise. Now, in that passage, by the way, is a prophetic promise that's thousands of years ago that's connected with another covenant that we'll see later, the covenant to Israel. And part of that is found in Numbers 23, verse 6, and he returned unto him, and lo, he stood by the burnt sacrifice. This is Balaam. Balak has tried to pay Balaam to curse Israel, just like you see is going on in New York, people cursing the Jews. Just like you see going on around the world, people are cursing Israel. Well, that's, that's what curses are real, by the way. And uh, God's the curse lifter. He can lift the curses when we trust in him. But, uh, but Balaam was paid by Balak to curse Israel. And every time he tried, he couldn't do it because God wouldn't allow it. The more he tried to curse him, the more God told him to bless him. Ain't that something? And returned unto him, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and all the princes of Moab, and he took up his parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, hath brought me from Aram, out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come defy Israel. 
How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him. He's talking about Israel. And from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Balaam speaks this long before Israel even makes it in the promised land. And you know the rest of the story. They go in the promised land eventually, and then they have judges come in there, and they mess up everything, and they have kings. They wanted Saul. Saul messes up everything. David becomes a good king. Uh, Solomon's a pretty good king, but in apostasy, turns his heart away from God. And about the rest of the kings, there's only a couple of them in there, really, that's worth that much uh, when it comes to walking with God. And there finally comes a king by the name of uh, Jeconiah, and, and or, uh, Jeco Jeconiah. God takes off the J-E off his name and calls him Coniah. The J-E goes back to Jehovah. And he said, I'm not even going to let you associate my name Jehovah with your name anymore. And he said, I'll never let any descendant upon your, your descendants sit upon the throne of Israel ever again. And from that point forward, Israel goes off into apostasy. They go out into Babylon. They are, uh, uh, I mean, they are uh, persecuted. They are dispersed. And, uh, and, I mean, years come and go. And finally, in 1948, God puts them back in the land. And God says that Israel's going to dwell alone. And they'll not be reckoned among the nations. And that's getting ready to happen. It's getting ready to happen. The same chapter, Numbers 23, where we get that great promise, God cannot lie, is the same chapter that says God made a covenant, which he did with Israel, and he's going to keep his promise. And so that promise is not unfulfilled. It's just on hold. He's getting ready to fulfill it. And so that's going to bring us into the Adamic covenant. This is going to bring up a dispensation of often, it's called conscious. And, uh, and that's where where people begin to think and, and moral issues begin to uh, develop and right and wrong and murder and adultery and all these things that's going to lead up to a catastrophe, a flood. We're going to see in the Noahic covenant, the flood, where God says, I'm through. I, I'm, I'm done. I, I'm through with, uh, with my creation. The Bible says that God repented that he even made man. And so he makes... Uh, Noah a promise but we're going to see in the, uh, the rest of the story of Adam going into the Noahic covenant we're going to see it's in two parts part of the curse that came upon Adam and Eve also contains a great messianic promise Genesis 3.15 the Bible says speaking to Eve he said that thy seed is going to bruise the head of the serpent his seed and he says that there's going to be a Messiah. That's the first promise of the coming of Jesus Christ. That the, the offspring, something supernaturally going to transpire. A woman will have seed. She'll have a child. That's Mary. And her son is going to crush underfoot Satan. And he did that in a great way on the cross. But the final uh, um, Overthrow of Satan is still yet ahead. Well, he'll be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And what a moment that'll be. I've got a front row seat when that happens. And so do you if you're saved. We're going to get to see it. And what a moment that'll be. So we'll talk about that at our next study. All right. Having said all of that tonight, uh, does anybody have any special prayer requests? Anybody we need to lift up in prayer? Uh, as you think for a moment, uh, continue to remember my dad in prayer. Um, he's, all of his cancer results and everything have come back good um